Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of our podcast, one of those editions where we invite a few of our members in to be able to ask questions. If you're a member and you're listening to the podcast, what you do is uh, you go to the Q&A part of the Zoom and you write your question down there and I'll try to get to it um, a, a little bit later after I ask a few questions of my own. Don't raise your hand. Don't use the chat button. Use the Q&A button. Um, and uh, I'm especially delighted to, uh, to, to be able to have this uh, conversational kind of podcast with uh, uh, Allison Gill, known as AG to her many fans and to us here. Uh, we got to know her with her first podcast, Muller, She Wrote. Um, uh, she now does uh, a, a terrific podcast called The Daily Beans, which lets people in on the the, the, the truth behind the headlines with uh, both intelligence and, uh, and humor, um, both at the same time. We try to do both, but we tend to get either intelligence or humor. And, and so I admire that you're able to do both. Hi, AG. How are you? Uh, I'm good, David. How are you? Good. Um, so I thought I'd start with some breaking news and then move to some other issues. And, you know, of course, at some point we'll move to issues that our participants uh, have questions about. Um, there's I was I was I was actually supposed to be on TV in, a, in an hour. And uh, I, I got a phone call from the, uh, the producer who shall remain nameless. And they said, well, we're going to bump you tonight because there wasn't enough news out of the Putin summit. Uh, we're really going to focus on the uh, fast moving case against the Trump organization. Uh, and uh, of course, there were stories in the past 24 hours that said that the CFO of the Trump organization, um, uh, Alan Weisselberg, uh, could be indicted over the summer, that they're in the final stages of that case. I know this is something that you have been following dutifully. Um, where are we? Yeah, well, like you said, New York Times just came out uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, with that story about the final stages and that you know they're looking to p- potentially charge Weisselberg in the summer. And I think what everyone, the question that's on everyone's mind is, is Weisselberg, Weisselberg going to flip? Uh, and we know that fairly recently, New York Attorney General Tish James uh, said she was joining forces with the Manhattan District Attorney. She said she's already been criminally investigating Weisselberg since at least January, and that we got an announcement from the Manhattan District Attorney that they were impaneling a special grand jury uh, to bring charges. And that's going to be the grand jury that decides whether or not to charge the executive's of the Trump Organization or the Trump Organization on OCA, also known as Little Rico, and other uh, tax evasion. And those major announcements made me think that they've got 
Weisselberg's cooperation, and it just hasn't been announced yet. It just doesn't make sense that the district attorney's office and the New York attorney general would make these grand announcements about everything that they're doing while running a, a, a maybe minimal or significant risk of only being able to indict Weisselberg out of this whole thing. So my feeling is that he will flip or has flipped or is cooperating or will cooperate or they need to bring this charge over the summer to, to as part of the plea deal that he will plead guilty to. We don't know that. I am just, this is just my conjecture. I don't have any uh, proof of any of this. Uh, and I don't have any confirmed sources that have that have said that that's what's going on. That's my gut feeling though. And I think that we will be seeing charges. Uh, we do know from public reporting that Vance has said he's going to make a charging decision before he leaves office. And of course, you know, June 22nd is the election in New York to, to elect a new district attorney that will take over next January. So it's going to be an interesting summer. Um, what is it that makes you think that him flipping will be consequential? Uh, let me let me put it in, it, it just sort of explain the little voices in my head um, because this is, you know, can be very therapeutic for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, 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 I've, I've seen some of the analysis of this and they say they're, you know, thinking of making a criminal tax case against Weisselberg. Um, is that of enough consequence to force him to open up in a world in which Trump can't give him a pardon, but Trump could certainly make his life, you know, better or worse in the long run. So, I mean, it's not that he has no influence on this. Um, and, you know, is, is, is dealing in that sort of realm of criminal tax case enough to, to, you know, make serious charges against the president of the United States, former president of the United States, or is it going to be kind of, um, in the language of your podcast, small beans? <laughs> well, generally, uh, prosecutors don't go after just criminal tax cases, right? Which is another clue to me that this is the pressure to get him to flip. Uh, but what of what consequence, right? Outside of some smoking gun document that, he, that, that, that uh, Cy Vance already has his hands on from, say, from like Deutsche Bank or from Mazars, where they can prove that Trump or Junior or Eric or Ivanka or all of them knew that they were committing business fraud or tax fraud or insurance fraud. Outside of that, if you don't have that smoking gun document, because that's a common defense in these white collar cases, right? The CEO says, hey, I'm just a CEO. You got to talk to my accountants about that stuff. I'm arm's length and I don't know any of that stuff. You got to prove that they know. So outside of a <clears throat> smoking gun document from Mazars or, or Deutsche Bank, which they may have, which is maybe perhaps why Cy Vance stayed in the court battle to get those Mazars documents. It wasn't for the tax returns. He already had his tax returns. But outside of that, you are going to need um, Alan Weisselberg to testify that Trump knew that he was violating federal tax law uh, business. He was committing business fraud. He was committing insurance fraud, because as we know, Trump doesn't email, Trump doesn't, you know, there's not going to be that smoking gun document. So he would be the smoking gun witness, as it were. And we know they went after the controller of the company to get Weisselberg. But is it enough? Is a general tax criminal tax case enough? 
I don't know, but I think what might make it enough is that they're going after his kids as well. And I think that that might be the turning point. And we got to remember, Weisselberg's already cooperated in previous cases against Trump in the when he was individual one in the Cohen case in the Southern District of New York, he was granted limited immunity and a non-prosecution agreement for his cooperation. So he he's a he's got a history uh, of this. Uh, so I, that's kind of where I see this sort of shaking out that a criminal tax case might not be enough, but going after his kids might be the, the straw. Well, they also seem to be approaching this in the way that prosecutors tend to approach RICO cases and sort of, you know, starting at a lower level and applying pressure on the way up. And it looks like the path on this was, I think, Weisselberg's son, who also was on the payroll, making $200,000 a year for kind of a no-show job, but also getting a free apartment. And then his son had a bad divorce. And the, his wife said, uh, oh, yeah, you know, this was this was a scam. Uh, and the that that, you know, that sort of put the pressure on Weisselberg. Um, if if everything you're saying is true, d- doesn't it suggest perhaps with all those documents that what were the, the Vance or um, Trish James are looking for or looking for together is a pattern of defrauding the government on more than one occasion over more than a, a an ex, you know w- you know over an extended period of time which would say the Trump organization is you know a, a, a you know criminally fraudulent organization this is this is the way they did business was you know um, outside the law Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of what the OCA laws are in New York, those little RICO laws, right? Because we know federal RICO, you need two crimes, two crimes, two crimes, little RICO, three crimes, three crimes. And so you, you have three crimes where they fraudulently bolstered, illegally bolstered the bottom line of the company. You've got uh, corruption, business corruption practices. And so, yeah, I think that that's kind of the way that they're going about it. And so that it's going to be interesting if Weisselberg flips and maybe one of the reasons if, if he has flipped and maybe one of the reasons we don't know it yet is because one of the charges he's agreed to plead guilty to is that little Rico. And if he's going to be pleading guilty uh, to that conspiracy charge, that corruption charge, that business corruption charge, that means he's got to have other people involved. Do <laughs> you, you know, it takes more than one guy to make a conspiracy. So they might be keeping that under wraps or under seal or the, you know, so that we aren't all tipped off that, uh, you know, if he's pleading guilty to, to Oka, that that means there's that they're that that's what they're going to be charging the others with. And you don't want to alert them to how to set up their defense. Right. But that I, I get the same sense that you get that this is about a pattern of, of crime and fraud. And, and we all know statute of limitations only start the clock only starts ticking once you stop criming. Uh, and so these can string back quite quite a few many years without going over the statute of limitations. So let me ask you one more follow up question on just this this thread. You you mentioned the others. You know, well, who? Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, Trump himself. Um, 
that the Trump organization gets hit with a big fine. Mm-hmm. Um, like how, how does how does something like this shake down? Of all of those people, it would seem that the hardest person to get is Trump. Uh, right? right. Because he's the farthest from the action and, you know, could persuade almost any jury anywhere that he was clueless a lot of the time. Yeah. And same with the kids, uh, which is why they would need Weisselberg to testify that he wasn't. He was, you know, he was involved in those operations. He knew about it. Here's a time when I told him about it. I had a phone call with him about it on this date. Uh, and of course, you know, anybody who agrees to cooperate, if he does, uh, agree to cooperate. You have to tell them everything, because if you don't, then you're subject to the to those crimes, and we get to keep all the information you shared with us. So it's 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 going to be an interesting thing, and also something that would tip us off is is if anybody, if any of these lurking journalists can see, can lay eyes on Weisselberg going into that special grand jury to testify, that means he's cooperating because people who testify to the grand jury have immunity in New York state. It's not a federal thing. Um, okay. Um, two more areas of substance. And then I want to uh, get to some of the questions that we've got from the audience. And again, as I mentioned, if you're listening and you want to ask a question, all you have to do is put it in the Q and a and I'll, I'll, I'll pose it. Um, this is not the only avenue of legal cases that Donald Trump has to deal with. Um, uh, we know that there's a case in Georgia about the election. We know that there were at least some cases that were under the auspices of the DOJ, although it's kind of hard to guess what the DOJ is doing these days. Um, do you have any favorites for others of these dogs in terms of whether they'll bark or not? Um, I would say the next worst thing for him is Fulton County, Georgia, and their Georgia Rico investigation into whether or not he interfered or tried to interfere in, in, in an election. Because it, when you read the statute, it reads like it was written for what Trump did, uh, especially in his call to Raffensperger. Uh, so I would say now that is going to take a long time that uh, we're not going to see the fruits of that investigation if there are any for longer than it's going, than we're going to see in New York. Um, could be a year or years. <clears throat> it takes a long time to do that. The last successful RICO case, which Fonnie Willis was a part of in Georgia, uh, took, I think, two and a half years, which was that, I believe, school cheating scandal that she prosecuted. Uh, of, the, of the civil suits, um, my money's on the Mary Trump fraud suit. Um, we're still waiting to hear uh, information about whether that lawsuit can go forward or not. But I think that that particular lawsuit is is where my where my money is. Uh, any feelings about uh, Jean Carroll? Yeah, I'm uh, upset that the Department of Justice took up the banner for not the man, but the office of president. Uh, to defend, but that was not something the Department of Justice needed to do. And when I spoke to uh, Barb McQuaid about it, former U.S. attorney, I was like, what is, why? Why are they taking up this banner? Why is this a hill they're going to die on? And, and she made a, a great analogy. She was like, you know, when, you know, when one of the dads coaches Little League and his kid is on the team and he benches his kid, even though he's one of the best players, just to make it look like he's not playing favorites. That feels like what Garland is doing in this by taking up this case to defend the president. I was also 
another decision by the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland I was upset about was the uh, appeal and to, to release the second part of the Bill Barr 2019 memo, which was supposed to be justification for why they didn't pursue obstruction of justice charges. And I am uh, go on record here saying I'm 100% for Garland, um, perhaps once a criminal referral is made from the House Judiciary who just took McGann's testimony finally after two and a half years, uh, he needs, I feel he needs to pursue uh, the, the, those obstruction of justice charges. Uh, if he doesn't, he's going to send the signal that future presidents can obstruct justice and get away with it. Yeah, well, what we've heard out of that is is just mind-boggling so far in terms of other forms of obstruction and also efforts to use the Justice Department in criminal ways to obstruct. Um, let me change gears for a second before we go to the questions from the audience. Yeah, I think it was a, a while back, I saw an article by you talking about uh, your time in the military and the, the, the fact that you had been uh, sexually abused while you were in the military and talked about the Military Justice Improvement Act of 2019 um, and uh, you know where where that might go, whether the military could make changes that could take this this kind of plague of abuse that occurs within the military and 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 address it in a constructive way. And your article was extremely courageous. It's horrific that you had to go through that. It's horrific that thousands of other women have had to go through that. And the question is, is progress being made? Yeah, I believe so. And, you know, thousands of women and men. And, and it's for 10 years, they tried to curb sexual assault with ridiculous campaigns like ask her when she's sober or where was your buddy? And, you know, I mean, just absolutely virtual reality, augmented reality assault training, because that's not uh, <laughs> traumatic. Um, but recently, we actually got some Republicans, including Republican Joni Ernst, who faced military sexual trauma when she was in and has a daughter at West Point who has had some issues as well. She has joined forces with uh, Kristen, Gillib Kirsten, Kristen Gillibrand uh, of New York, um, who started the MIJA eight years ago after the documentary about military sexual assault came out. It's called The Invisible War. I was in that documentary. We've been fighting this for eight years. And now finally, it's got 60, 63 sponsors in the Senate. It's got enough to pass. And when uh, Gillibrand went to get unanimous consent on that to bring it to a vote, a Democratic senator, I believe his name's Jack Reed from Rhode Island, objected. He said he wanted this whole thing to go through his committee the Armed Forces Committee, uh, and be put in the NDAA, and it shouldn't be its own standalone bill. I should say he's not a co-sponsor of the, the MIJA. And the, the, the MIJA, basically what it does is it takes the decision of whether to prosecute rape and sexual assault out of the hands of the commanders of the unit. And that's important because oftentimes the perpetrator could be the commander or a friend of the commander, or the commander doesn't want a bunch of, you know, uh, prosecuted military sexual assaults in on his or her base because it, that just looks bad, right? So they want to take that out of the hands of the commander, put it into the, the, the Pentagon at a separate group of, of lawyers and kind of like kind of like DAs for the military. 
so that they can make the that uh, they don't have a conflict of interest as to whether or not to prosecute uh, those rapes. And they don't want to just do it for military sexual assault. They want to do it for all kinds of murder, uh, violence, assault, those, those bigger crimes. They, they want, they don't want the commanders to have to decide whether or not to prosecute those. And I think that that's the way to go. Personally, I think it should be taken out of the military and the Pentagon completely and put in the hands of a group of civilian DAs and lawyers. But this is what 63 people have agreed to. And I, I want it to pass now, just because Jack Reed objected doesn't mean it's not going to come up for a vote. It will, but I think we have made significant progress. I don't think it's enough, uh, but it's much better than the, you know, ask her when she's sober campaign that they've been trying to run for the last 10 years. Meanwhile, sexual assaults continue to increase with the number of prosecutions staying the same. So it hasn't worked. Has the, the um, new administration taken a position on, on, on whether they want to push this through or they're going to sit back and let it take its own course? Yeah, they're uh, particularly uh, Biden tasked Lloyd Austin, new secretary of defense, with forming a commission to find out to, to research this problem. And I think his results are due here any time. And that's what Jack Reed wanted to take, what, what Secretary of Defense Lloyd's, Lloyd Austin's recommendations were from the Biden commission and put it into the NDAA and debate it in Congress. And, and Gillibrand's over here like, I already have a bill. I got 63 people who are ready to go on it. Uh, so they haven't the administration hasn't taken a position on the bill that I'm aware of, uh, nor has the Secretary of Defense, but they do at least both agree that it's it's a scourge and it needs to be addressed with something other than they've been doing for the last decade. Um, but we've seemed to have two parallel tracks here um, on how to deal with this. And I'm, I'm with I'm with this, the legislation. Yeah, I, I have to say the the, the 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 Jack Reed track the the uh, the track that's sort of more in step with the established powers in the Pentagon um, worries me because of this this scourge that we've seen in Washington called institutionalism. Mm-hmm. You know that the you know these 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 people want to correct correct protect their prerogatives. Um, whether or not those prerogatives should exist. I mean, for example, Janet Yellen still hasn't turned over Trump's taxes. Right, I know. I mean, which is kind of crazy. Anyway, although, uh, although the Joint Chiefs and Mark Milley are for the legislation, so, um, so at least maybe, may, maybe there can be progress on that. Your your position on it is is courageous, and the the legislation is important. Um, got a couple of questions here. I'll just read them out to you. What if any changes do you believe should be made? to the DOJ to prevent a future AG from acting the way Barr did. I assume that's not a reference to you. I, um, uh, we've got, you know, revelations of really horrific behavior in the Department of Justice coming up almost every day now, whether it's Barr or Sessions or interim AGs. Um, you know, is putting Merrick Garland in there enough to fix it? Well, it should be um, because purportedly that's how the Department of Justice is going to run how it's supposed to run. But what needs to happen 
in order to prevent a future attorney general is for, we need to, first of all, um, codify these rules such as you can't investigate members of Congress from an opposing political party or however you want to write that law. But the number one deterrent, the number one deterrent to prevent a future AG from doing what Bill Barr did is to prosecute Bill Barr. And he's, we've got a, a, Merrick Garland has initiated an inspector general investigation, which could lead to a referral which could lead to the appointment of a special or independent counsel. I don't know. But if it goes nowhere and nothing gets done, then that's the problem. But I'm not going to, I don't want to criticize Merrick Garland's response on this particular issue. There's going to be a lot more, but on this particular issue, until it, it runs its course and, and if nothing is done, then you will hear me scream and yell. But, you know, we've, we've gone in through, it's going to take, the, the inspector general investigation is going to take months and months uh, and uh, we'll get the results. Then if there's a referral, there's going to have to be another. This is, we're looking at years down the road, but or year plus down the road. Uh, but that is the best deterrent is to prosecute Bill Barr. If he's if it's criminally predicated and if he broke the law, uh, he, he needs to be held accountable for that. Accountability is the key. Same with the former president. How do you hold people accountable if you've got a system that says, oh, no, you can't ask anybody around the president what he was doing or what his opinion was or what his memos were on this stuff and where the current attorney general, Merrick Garland, is taking the position that, yeah, it's appropriate to protect executive power regardless of the consequences? Well, I don't think he's taking that sweeping of view. He did release the first part of the Bill Barr memo, which is probably the most damning part. We still haven't seen the second part, so I can't make a judgment on that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait and see if he passes on obstruction um, and if he passes on whatever the inspector general comes up with from, because the inspector general is not going to be able to get an interview with Bill Barr or Rod Rosenstein or any former uh, member of the Department of Justice, unless they're willing to to go on the record under oath. Isn't that insane? I mean, you know, it's like, how, how do you call it an inspector general or oversight if there's certain people within the department or within the government that just say, nah, I'm not participating? Is well, there... if they were in the government, they'd have to participate. Right, but they're not. Right. And I, I know that the inspectors general have been trying to change that rule for a very long time. Well, it's just it's a it's a interesting uh, challenge. Yeah, and it, and unfortunately, we never imagined we would be where we are. Uh, so uh, I think I think that that which did not get fixed after Watergate um, is now biting us in the rear end. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 many many in many ways. Um, Second question here. Do you think a Trump trial will feed the it's all a witch hunt storyline that Trump and his supporters seem to love and ultimately benefit him in some twisted way? Absolutely. I guarantee you if he goes to trial, he will raise a ton of money. Uh, but if he makes it to trial, um, he, his health does not look the best. Uh, it, if he ends up in jail, I kind of don't care. Um, do you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? No, uh, I, and, <laughs> yeah, I, 
And I honestly think if it's something federal, like for for the uh, the obstruction of justice charges, for example, um, the important piece isn't necessarily that he goes that he gets handcuffs slapped on him, although that would be lovely. The important piece is that this government has held a former president to account for obstructing justice. And that that is the important part that setting that precedent is the important part in my mind. It would be if it were the case, you know, I think we we have this kind of dichotomy here where you say, well, we can't prosecute a sitting president, even though we actually can prosecute a sitting president. But because there is this uh, memo out there, but everybody says you can't. So, you know, you have to wait till he's not sitting. And then they say, well, the standard for prosecuting a former president is much higher because you don't want it to look political. Wait a minute. Isn't that the opposite of the way our system of justice is supposed to work? Why should the standard be much higher for the former president? I haven't heard that the standard is higher. Um, when when Mueller outlined the obstruction of justice instances in volume two of the Mueller report, particularly the McGahn instances, um, I mean, it was very straightforward. This is against the law. It meets the three elements, um, you know, nexus, intent and obstructive act. Uh, and here's how it meets him. And I, here's the roadmap for you. And then when he was questioned, even though a lot of people didn't like his pizzazz when he when he testified to Congress, he was asked by Ken Buck, a Republican. Hey, so you saying he can be prosecuted when he gets out of office? And, and Mueller was like, yes. And he repeated that question and he repeated that answer. Well, there has to be some reason why he hasn't been. And well, honestly, I there's a lot of theories to that. And the theory was we were waiting for McGahn's testimony to provide cover from a bipartisan committee in Congress to make the criminal referral to the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice, in my mind, would rather be handed uh, this investigation that they have to respond to than to wade into the political quagmire to do it themselves. Um, because I know that they're very about uh, you know, like benching your son, even though you know that you know he's the best player. They're very about not staying as far away from politics as they possibly can, uh, which is you know, which is a good thing, but in moderation, right? <laughs> if there's a criminal predicate, to open an investigation, open one. Uh, but I'm I'm not satisfied with uh, the the people who, or I'm I'm not in agreement with people who think that because he hasn't prosecuted obstruction of justice yet that he's not ever going to. Uh, I need to see what comes out of this Judiciary McGahn hearing from the center, from the House Dems to the Department of Justice, uh, and then I'll make that call. But, but hey, if he uh, ignores these obstruction of justice charges, which are up 2022 uh, for their statute of limitations, although you could technically tie them to the pardons because the pardons were dangled as part of the obstruction of justice and the pardons were given in December of 2020 for Manafort. And so you could actually extend it to 2025. Um, I'm gonna reserve judgment until they decide not to bring charges. My only concern is that they might not tell us that they are or are not or that they're, you know, if they've decided they're not going to bring charges, I don't think they're going to step out and say, we've looked at it. We've decided we're not bringing charges. I don't think they're going to tell us that. I think it's just going to be a waiting game. And hopefully they think we forget by then. You're so level-headed and moderate. And I'm, you know, feeling like I'm the one with hair on fire at the moment. Um, uh, One last question. I know we've got to wrap up within uh, two minutes, but uh, I I was also troubled by uh, FBI director Ray 
saying he was not aware of any investigation into, you know, essentially the people who were behind the insurrection. Now, if, you know, there was an insurrection. There are hundreds of people being charged with crimes. It was on television. We know it actually happened. This minority leader, who then the majority leader in the Senate said, oh, you know, we should, you know, prosecute this to the full extent of the law. And yet, you know, the president, the people who are behind it, the Roger Stones, the uh, Proud Boys as a group, although that maybe they'll get caught up in this thing. Even, you know, I mean, I, we have this extraordinary circumstance where a wife of a Supreme Court justice helped fund the thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jenny Thomas. Yeah, and, no, that that took me aback too, uh, David. But I, I, I read it as he wasn't going to comment on whether or not there was an investigation into the generals. Um so, and I know that, uh, you know, like you said, they've brought conspiracy charges against the three percenters, the Proud Boys who were tied to Roger Stone, Alex Jones, Ali Alexander. They've brought uh, conspiracy charges against the Proud Boys. Um, and I don't know, and, they, and by the way, Ray did say that there were more conspiracy charges coming and potentially more other serious charges. And I think what he's alluding to is seditious conspiracy. But working your way up the chain of the food chain, um, I imagine we wouldn't see those investigations into Stone, Jones, Trump, Jr., Rudy, until we got the cooperation or plea deals from these uh, domestic violent extremist militia groups. So it might just be a a time-taking exercise. Again, I'm waiting to see. it's 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 going to be like I feel like it's going to be an all or nothing thing, right? Either Garland's going to go after the generals in the insurrection, he's going to go after obstruction of justice for Trump, he's going to go after uh, what was the other thing, the Bill Barr memo, or he's not. He's not going to go after any of these things. And um, I hope I hope I hope it's the former. <laughs> because... oh, there, there, yeah, well, me too. Uh, but well, there you have it, folks. You know, watch this space, watch what the uh, New York uh, State and the Manhattan Attorney General uh, or District Attorney do, watch Fulton County, watch the Department of Justice, watch, um, uh, you know, what's going on in related matters on the Hill, Um, watch the FBI, and within just two years, you will know whether we'll have to renovate the Supreme Court and take down the words equal justice under the law or, or not. Um, because two years from now, none of this could have happened, perhaps. And yeah. at, th- at that point, you know, the precedent is clear. Um, and there, you know, we are saying get high enough in the US government, you can do whatever you want and you will not be prosecuted. Yeah. And I also don't think the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland should say, ah, they'll get them in New York. They don't need me to get them. Like, no, we need you to get, to get them on obstruction. We need you to get them federally. Uh, so I just I wanted to uh, be pretty clear about that as well. That's no. not an excuse to not no. go after obstruction charges. Absolutely. For more of this kind of thoughtful um, analysis, you should listen to AG um, on her uh, podcast, The Daily Beans. Um, and, uh, w- you know, which is very good. I've I've, I've been on it, but it's good. Um, and uh, we hope that you'll come back sometime soon. I, it's always good to talk to you and I learn a lot. And uh, for people who are interested in what else we've got going on. Um, and by the way, our 
our podcast tomorrow, the one we do with uh, Ryan uh, Goodman and Kavita Patel. Also, we'll have Barb McQuaid and Frank Figluzzi on it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the DOJ and the FBI. Uh, exactly. So we're going to continue this conversation. Um, but, you know, go to the DSRnetwork.com, see what else we've got coming up. If you want to help support what we're doing, click on membership, become a member uh, or become a higher level of member. Uh, it doesn't cost that much and uh, help us do what we're doing. So, you know, think about that. Uh, anyway, thank you, AG. Thank you, everybody, for listening and uh, stay healthy, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>